And uh, he took me to this story that I'm going to talk to you guys about this morning. Um, and I'm going to talk about intercession. Uh, we've been going through this, uh, these stories the last couple weeks where we've been talking about people that maybe you never heard of before. Um, people like Huram, who helped build the temple for Solomon. People like Ethan, who was a songwriter who penned uh, Psalms 89. Um, today we're going to talk about somebody who, unless you were in the women's group a couple weeks ago, some of you, some of you women saw my notes and you're like, Pastor, we've been, we've been ahead of you, Pastor. Well, I've been there with you guys too, just so you know. Okay, I've been taking my notes and and uh, as well. But we're going to talk about Abigail. Uh, Abigail is someone that we can learn from, um, especially, like I said, on the, this topic of intercession. Uh, we're in First Samuel chapter twenty-five. This story of Abigail is an amazing story of what intercession is, what intercession can do. Um, just like Isabel was sharing with everything that happened to Carmen, uh, when we begin to pray, uh, heaven begins to move. When you pray, heaven begins to move. And praying for others isn't something that's just uh, for a few. Every believer should be praying for others. Um, we're instructed to pray for others. Um, Jesus is our ultimate example in every area. And he himself now is praying for us. And so intercession and praying for others is not something that we just hand off and I've seen this in, in, you know, I've been in the, the prayer movement, the house of prayer movement um, early on in my ministry. Sometimes we just designate intercession and intercessory prayer to a group of what we call intercessors. And yes, there are those who feel the urgency, those that have given their life to a life of prayer, to a life of intercession, those that have that calling to do so. But it doesn't make an excuse for all of us just to hand off our prayer requests to someone else. Amen. We should all be praying. And I want you guys to do me a favor. I want you to write down on the top of your notes right there. I want you to write down three names of people that you're praying for. And it could be names of people or groups of people that you're praying for. I want you just to write down their names. We just need to, 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 to begin to stir up our faith, begin to stir up this level of accountability that we are praying for people. So whoever you, who, whoever you would like to pray for, or whoever you've been praying for, just write those names down. And it could be people, it could be a, a group of people. You could write down more than three if you want. But I just want to give you guys some, some visualization, some, some uh, opportunity for you guys to attach this message to what we are all called to do. Amen? Let's go ahead and read through the, this first page uh, of notes before we get into the story of Abigail. Um, intercession or intercessory prayer is the action of intervening on behalf of another. The action of praying on behalf or for another person. Jesus is an intercessor and is now interceding for us. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 
transgressors. This is a prophetic word regarding Jesus in Isaiah 53. Uh, Romans 8, 34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. I love that we have had powerful intercessors in this house. I love that we have a prayer chain that is very active and very uh, on top of it. When a prayer request go out, you can believe that there are a team of people that are stopping whatever they're doing to pray. That is very encouraging. But let me encourage you with Romans 8.34 that Jesus is praying for you also. Thank God for the intercessors that we have. Thank God for those uh, who pray here in this house. But glory to Jesus that even now he is making intercession for us. Amen. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So again, Jesus is an intercessor and is now interceding for us. All Christians are instructed to pray for others. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Pray always. And when you don't know what to pray, pray in the Spirit. Pray in tongues. That, that gift of tongues is more powerful than you can think. And a lot of people disregard it because they don't understand it. But that's the point. Tongues is powerful because it comes from your heart and your head doesn't get in the way. When you pray in your own tongue and you pray in, in, in the language that you understand, you can pray words that your mind might try to doubt. You can say things that in your mind you're like, I don't know if that's going to happen. You can pray things just because, but you're in your head, you're thinking, this isn't going to work. But when you pray in tongues, you eliminate this. Now you're out of the way, and the only thing now that is uttering these sounds, your heart is connecting to the throne room of God, and you're praying things that you don't understand, but God does. Amen? So if you haven't received the gift of tongues, pray and ask the Lord for that baptism. Ask Him for that gift. Begin to worship and just offer up a sound and let the Holy Spirit fill you up to the point of overflowing. Amen. James 5, 13, 16 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, a righteous woman avails much. When we begin to pray, heaven moves. Amen? There, there is, uh, the, uh, we talked about it last week, the Lord of hosts, right? There is an angel army that is waiting for us in our prayers to release them into assignment, to give them, to commission them with something by praying for people. Amen. And that's why when we pray, it avails much. Amen. First Timothy 2.1 says, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for who? All men. We are to pray not only for the saints. Don't just pray for your family and your friends, but pray for everyone. Amen. 
Amen. So let's go ahead and, and get into this story of Abigail. Um, Abigail is what the Bible says, uh, a intelligent and beautiful woman who is married to a man who doesn't carry the same type of compliment. Nabal is her husband. He is a wealthy man, um, but he's a foolish man. He's someone that you can tell by looking at the story, looking at his life, that he let a, a couple things get to him to the point to where his pride, his arrogance, his stubbornness leads him. And Abigail has to step in. She has to step into this place of intercession. She has to step into this place of intervening because of what is about to happen to him. And so let's go ahead and start reading here. Uh, chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, starting in verse number 2. It says, Now there was a man in Maon. I'm sorry, let me just get situated here. There was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal. And the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful in appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And this you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace be to your house, and peace to all that you ha have. Now I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, David. Now, at this time, David is feuding with Saul. Saul is the king. Him and David are at odds. They are divided. David is fleeing. He is running from Saul. Uh, previously, before this story, David actually had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he refuses. Um, but as he continues to run, as he continues to hide, he hears about Nabal. He hears that this man is wealthy. He has everything that David and his men need to camp overnight during this feast. And so David, and at this time, David is, is he's a warrior, right? How many of you guys watched the Canelo fight last night? Yeah, come on now. Come on. How many of you guys didn't watch it, but you know who Canelo is, right? We know. Why? Because the guy is one of the greatest fighters of our generation. He's one of my favorite fighters, uh, but he's one of the greatest fighters of this generation. He has beaten the best. He's gone up weight classes, down weight classes. Even last night, the guy was about half a foot taller than him, longer reach, but Canelo was in there, dominated the whole fight. There, there is something, a, 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 a story, there, there is talk, there is a, a reputation that follows great warriors. When you know those that have fought great battles, you hear, you know, even though you might not watch boxing, but you heard of Canelo, right? He's, he's the man. You heard of Muhammad Ali. You've heard of Mike Tyson. You've heard of Floyd May Mayweather. These guys that have fought in these rings and, and have, have gone out there and had these great records, right? David's reputation goes before him far greater than any of these fighters, right? David's reputation at this time because of the battles that he's been in, right? He's battled Goliath. He's battled these nations. He, he is God's appointed soldier and leader in this time. And he has taken over, defeating all of God's enemies, 
Everybody knows how powerful David is. And so David says, hey, we need to rest. There's a feast coming up. Go talk to Nabal. He's got some. He's got everything that we need to camp out for a little bit. Go talk to him. Tell him, hey, we come in peace. We just want to camp for a little bit. And let's see what he says. So let's keep reading here. Verse number 10. Or let's re read verse 9. It says, so when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and wanted and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, each one from his master. He's insulting David, and he's insulting the situation that's happening between David and Saul. He's saying, who's this guy? Like, he can't even hold rank with his own leader. Like, you're going to try to come at me and, and demand these things. Like, he's insulting this request. Let's keep reading here. Verse uh, 11 says, Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for? Uh, my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they're from. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back and they came and told him of these words. Then David said to his men, regulators, mount up. It was a clear black night. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. David said, hey, get your swords, man. This guy's insulting us. He's not giving us what we needed. Get your swords ready. Let's keep reading right. Uh, let's see. I, get all, I lose my spot every time I get into DJ mode. Uh, let's see here. Uh, verse 12. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. And David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and, were not, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we uh, accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore, uh, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against his household, for he is such a scoundrel. I like when the Bible uses bad words. It just... <laughs> scoundrel, right? For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five... Sayas. Uh, huh? Seas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on before me. I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So David gets his men together. They're on their way to kill Nabal. They're on their way to kill all of Nabal's family, all of his men. This insult David did not take lightly. And he is coming now to to take him out, to, to completely kill him, destroy everything that he has. Abigail, his wife, hearing that, she begins to gather an offering. And I want to read this one more time. Verse number 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seas 
of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. I want to point out, number one in your notes, intercession is costly. God instructs us to pray for others. The Holy Spirit in us stirs up that faith, stirs up that urgency for us to begin to pray. But sometimes it will cost you to pray for others. And this isn't a bad uh, thing, right? This sacrifice is a sacrifice of faith. It's a sacrifice of obedience. But we have to be okay with that cost. And a lot of times we don't pray for others because it cost us something. When the prayer request went out for Carmen and for Letty last week, maybe we got it and we're like, you know what? I'll pray after the game's over. I'm just, can, I, can we be real around here, right? Oh, man, I, I just started this movie. I'll, I'll pray afterwards. No, we got to pray now, right? It, it, whatever it costs me, whatever sacrifice I have to make, there is an urgency, there is a need, and God has put me in a position to pray for someone, so I'm not going to sit here and put it on the shelf. If I have to sacrifice so that I can pray for my sisters, then I'm going to do it. If I have to sacrifice my morning, if I have to sacrifice my evening, if I have to sacrifice my favorite TV show, I'm going to do it because there is an urgency. David is on his way to kill my husband and my men. Let me gather everything that I can, even if it costs me something. And this is what you have to understand about intercession is that it will cost you at times, but it's worth it. Amen. Look at these verses here that I have. Lamentations 2.19. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. It costs us sometimes to pour out our heart for others. Sometimes we don't even have enough in us to pour out for ourselves. Right? But that cost, it costs us sometimes to pour everything out. Look at what it says. Like water before the face of the Lord, lift your hands toward him for the life of your young children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. Look at Luke 5. Uh, Luke 5. This is one of my favorite stories. It's the, the friends of the paralytic, the paralyzed man that the friends carry his mat. They bring him to Jesus. They can't get him to Jesus. So what do they do? They take the roof off. How many, anybody done roofing before? It is the hardest job I've ever had in my life. In the summertime, carrying a stack of shingles on my, this is you know, when they didn't want to buy the, the, the lift, the, the belt that just conveys them up, you just got to put a, and you got to climb the ladder, and then you're up in the sun, and you're spraying this, spraying this torch gun. Like, roofing is the worst. That's why I only lasted probably a week, and I was like, I am out of here. The Lord has called me for more. This is not, this is not it. And then I call him back and say, hey, can I have my job back? Roofing is no joke, but these guys that carry their friend, knew he needed to be healed. So rather than saying, hey, we can't get to Jesus, they said, you know what, let's lift him up to the roof and let's tear this roof off and lay him down. It cost them physically to, to lay down their life, to, to give themselves for this moment of intercession. And look at what verse 18 and 19 says, then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed 
through the tiling into the midst of Jesus. Again, intercession at times will cost you something. And a lot of times people won't pray for others. They won't pray for the prayer request that comes in because it costs them. To take a little bit of time of your day to, to, to begin to, to uh, pray for someone else, not everyone wants to sacrifice that. But listen, you guys, we need to. What would have happened if we didn't pray for Carmen? What would have happened, again, if we would have been more concerned with what was in front of us, the football game, our lunch, our nap? What if that would have been more important to us than our sister? Right? But you know what? We sacrifice all that. It costs us something, but it's worth it. Amen? Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 25, uh, 19 says, And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So Abigail tells the servants, go ahead. She doesn't tell Nabal. She wants to be by herself. You have to understand this about intercession is that sometimes you have to embrace the lonely journey of intercession. Intercession is lonely at times because not everyone understands the urgency that you have. Not everyone understands the burden that you have. And sometimes we have a prayer request. We want people to join. Pray for my son. Pray for my daughter. Pray for my husband. Pray for my wife. Pray for my workplace. But we don't carry the same urgency that you do. So you have to be ready that at times intercession is going to be all by yourself. Sometimes you're going you're gonna to feel alone. Why don't, why don't they join in with me? How, how, come, how come pastor doesn't want to come pray for, for so-and-so? And how come the prayer team doesn't? You know what? We're, not everyone is going to see that burden the way you do, but you see that burden because God has called you to pray over them. And that lonely road is a road where your faith begins to build up. Your dependency on Jesus and Jesus alone begins to arise because it's just you and him. Abigail said, I don't need the servants. I don't need my husband. God, we got a mission and we're going to fulfill it. Amen. Look at 2 Kings 4.33 in your notes right there. It says, uh, he went, this is the story of Elijah who raises the Shunammite's son. It says, he went in therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. This story is Elijah the prophet. Uh, he's saying in this house, the son dies. He goes into the room. He closes the door. He wants no one in there. It's a time of lonely intercession. And he begins to raise this young man from the dead. Acts 9.40 says, but Peter put all them out. Get everyone out. No one has an urgency here. If you guys know this story, no one had an urgency like Peter. Let's get everyone out. It says, in turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. We're called to pray for others, but sometimes that's a journey that's all by ourselves. Just like intercession being costly, don't let the lonely journey of intercession rob you of that time of prayer. Don't think, well, I'm the only one that's praying. That's all that you need. Amen. First Samuel 25, uh, verse number 20. Let's keep reading here. It says, so it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her. And she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David. If I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. So David was on a mission to completely take them out. Verse 23 says, Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. 
Number three in your notes, intercession is an act of humility. So don't be afraid to get low. It's a humbling experience to bring the requests of someone else before the Lord. To put yourself in a position where you can bring yourself low before God and cry out for someone else. Sometimes we can be so good in our relationship with God. Everything's going good. My faith is good. I feel great. And you don't feel that burden, but you know someone else is carrying that burden. It's an act of humility to come before God and fall on your face and say, God, have mercy. Right? Because sometimes we look at the people that we're praying for, and sometimes we say, well, they got themselves here. Let them get themselves out. Right? Sometimes we look at the people that we're praying for, and we're like, well, they kind of deserve this. Right? Or we kind of look at the people that we're praying for, and we're like, it's a lost hope. You know, what's the point? It is humbling to come before God and to beg Him for mercy on somebody other than yourself. It is humbling to fall on your face and say, God, please intervene in this person's life. It's humbling, especially when you know, hey, you know what? I'm good. Right? It's it, to be broken, to, to, to be broken for someone else, else other than yourself is humbling. In Abigail, she was good. The servants loved her. She was intelligent, beautiful. Right? She was wealthy. She could have been like, oh, cool, they're going to kill my husband. Good, because he's a scoundrel, right? He's a scoundrel. She could have went and hid until all that possession was hers. She had no reason to cry out for mercy. She had no reason to bring herself low other than the urgency of intercession was stirring in her heart, and she knew she had to do something on behalf of her husband, even though he didn't deserve it. She still found herself in this place of humility, praying for him. Matthew 8, 5 through 10, uh, verses 5 through 8 are here in your notes. It says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. If you guys know this story, this, this man was a wealthy man. He was a powerful man. And he says, I have servants. If I tell them to do this, they do it. If I tell them to do that, they do it. Just speak. And, and, you know, he knew his authority. He knew his position. He knew the power he had. But even himself, he came and he fell at the feet of Jesus, interceding for this person. Look at Mark 5. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly. You know, ruler of the synagogue, they had to carry themselves in a, in a certain way. They were looked at because they were the religious elite of this time. Everyone looked at them as godly men, righteous men. And here he was in the situation where his daughter was dying and he came and fell at the feet of Jesus. Right? Which looked... Uh, it, what, that's not what they were doing back then. They had to carry themselves a certain way. And he said, forget all of this. I'm going to fall at the feet of Jesus for my daughter. He says, and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Again, intercession is an act of humility. So don't be afraid to get low. Let's go ahead and keep reading here. Verse number 24. Uh, so she fell at his feet and said, Oh, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. 
Man, that's a powerful prayer. She knows how messed up this guy was. And she was like, Lord, put his sin on me. This is such a beautiful picture and a foreshadowing of Jesus. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who knew no sin, but became sin for us all. Jesus hung on the cross, not just for us, but as us. He took our sin upon himself. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our sin laid upon Jesus as his righteousness was laid upon us. And Abigail is showing that, foreshadowing what Jesus was about to do by saying, Lord, let his iniquity fall on me. And again, this, this is that act of humility that when we come to God, we're crying out for people that, yeah, maybe they're in sin. Maybe they're in a situation because their sin got them there. Maybe they're going through things because they disobeyed God. But how humiliating is it and how, how much breakthrough will we see when we can come before God and say, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, let their, let their sin fall on me. Let, let, forgive them on, on my behalf, God. Like this, this is a different type of prayer, right? Let's, let's get out of the bless me club and God put a million in my bank account, you know, and make sure I get a good parking space. And if it is your will, please let my hair grow back, God. Right? We, we can get into these real selfish prayers very easily. We can easily just give a list of all the, the to-dos that we want God to do in our life the checklist of all these things, God do this and God do that. But intercession is powerful because we take that list, we take what we want, we set it off to the side, and we say, God, let me cry out for this person. Yeah, God, my bills are due and I've been having a rough week, but you know what, we'll talk about that later. God, I want to pray for my husband. I want to pray for my wife. I want to pray for my children. I want to pray for my coworkers. There is something powerful in that. There is something very Christ-like when you can lay aside who you are to embrace this moment of intercession before the face of God. Jesus saw it as a joy, the joy set before him that, you know what, all the sins of the world he was about to take on his back, and he cried out, God, Father, have mercy, for they know not what they do. This is the example that we have. Abigail gives us that example. Amen? 1 Samuel again 25, 26 says, Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and the evil is not found in you throughout your days. Number four in your notes, intercede knowing that God is merciful. Intercede knowing that God is merciful. If, if you go in with a judgmental spirit on the, pers on the person or the people that you're praying for, you will probably find yourself praying prayers of judgment. If you go in thinking this person is in this situation because it's where they put themselves, it's what they deserve. If you go in with that type of spirit, you're going to be praying for that type of judgment. 
But when you go in knowing that God is merciful, you're going to approach those prayers with mercy. Now mercy is the motivation that you're praying in. Now you're praying for God to have mercy on them, and you should know that because God showed you mercy first. We can't pray for people and forget that there were people praying for us when we were in our mess. When my mom was praying for me, I was doing drugs and partying all night long, all week long sometimes. But my mom never stopped praying for me. And she wasn't praying prayers of, of judgment. She was praying prayers of mercy. And so when I encountered Jesus and the love of God and the grace of God, when I had that encounter that set me free, who am I to go backwards and start praying for people that came out of the same struggles or struggling with the same things that I came out of? Who am I to go and start judging them and judging them by what I pray? Now my heart, there's a compassion, there's a mercy in me. There's something in me that knows what they're going through. Therefore, I'm going to pray the same prayers that set me free. I'm going to pray the same prayers that showed mercy and grace over my life. I'm going to pray that for others. And so you have to approach the throne room knowing that God is merciful. He's merciful. God loves the people that you're praying for more than you do. So don't insult him by demanding his judgment. But glorify, him, but glorify him by acknowledging his mercy. Look at Psalms 86, 15 in your notes. It says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy. Oh, that verse, huh, Eddie? But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy. He's abundant in mercy and in truth. Amen. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Mercy. Oh, come on. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The mercy seat. Let us come to it knowing that God is who he says he is. Don't get me wrong, God is the ultimate judge. And we will all be judged when we stand before Him. But just know that the full picture is that we have an advocate who by His blood we find mercy and righteousness. One who has pleaded our case by dying on the cross. So God is still a judge but now his judgment is shown in mercy and in grace because of the sacrifice of his son. Amen. Abigail experiences that. She knows who David is, right? She watched the pay-per-view last night. She knows, right? She watched that UFC match. She knows what David's capable of. She knows that David is really about that life, right? That he's going to show up and do what he said he was going to do. He brought hundreds of men with him with swords, and they were ready to take her husband out. But she also knew that David was merciful. So she brings this offering and says, My Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on my husband. And David responds, verse 34, For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and came to meet me, surely by morning 
no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought to him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. She saved her husband's life. This act of intercession from Abigail saved her husband and everyone who lived on that land. She decided to take an offering, something that cost her. She decided to walk in humility, to walk in mercy. She brought her request to David. And because of that, because of that intercession, her husband did not experience the wrath of David. And you have to know this about intercession. And when you're praying for people, your prayers matter. Your prayers matter. They move mountains. Heaven is moved by what you pray and what you declare and what you speak and what you prophesy. Heaven moves when you pray. So when you pray over people, just know that there is a response to that. And so don't be silent when you're praying for people. Don't hold back. Don't think, well, I don't know what to say or how to say it. You know, just offer up a sound over your family members because they need breakthrough. Don't stay silent because your coworkers need your faith so that God can intervene in their life. Number five in your notes, God is faithful to hear our cries and answer our prayers. Isaiah 65, 24 says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Man, God's good, huh? Some of you will argue, well, if God already knows what I'm going to pray, then why should I pray? Because he needs your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And God responds to your faith. And so if you don't have the faith to actually voice out the prayer that he already knows, then you can't expect him to move because obviously your disobedience and your doubt is greater than your faith and your obedience. Well, God already knows, so what, what, why should I pray? Faith. Faith is an action. It's not a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. It is an action. This is why we open up the altar. When we do altar calls, we tell you guys, come up for prayer or come up for worship. And you say, well, I'm, I'm good right here where I'm at. No, no, no. It's an act of faith. We're giving you an opportunity to exercise your faith. Yeah, God, God's in the back. We can go out in the back. We can go out in the desert. And the same presence is going to fall. But there's a response of heaven when we begin to step out in faith by stepping out of our chair and coming up to a place that maybe be uncomfortable for us. Right? We get out of our seat and respond to an altar call. And we can say, well, God, he's, God, you're going to touch me right here in my seat. Don't let your doubt keep you there. But show God that you have faith by causing your body to move. Know that God hears your prayers, so don't be silent, but pray those prayers. Pray those prayers. Let that sound come out of your mouth, that sound of faith. Release that word. Because God's faithful to hear us. Amen? Psalms 34, 17, the righteous cry out. Man, that's, that's so important. The righteous cry out. Some of us say the righteous stay quiet. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going to get loud. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. 
If you saw someone that was in a position to be harmed, if you saw someone that was in a position where harm was coming to them or they were going to hurt themselves or be hurt, you wouldn't be quiet, right? Hey, 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 look, hey, watch out, right? We, we, there would be a sound that we would release, right? We wouldn't just go. Right? If we saw someone about to be hurt, if we saw some harm coming to somebody, there would be a sound that we release. But why is it that Christians get really quiet when it's time for us to pray? When it's time, well, I don't like the way I sound. I don't say, you know what? Somebody needs what you got. You better let it go. The righteous cry out. There's a sound that comes out. Prayer and worship. We have to release that sound. Amen. I used to have my neighbors when we were in the apartment when I first got saved, and they used to hit them. Because I had my walk-in closet that was my prayer closet, and I would jump in there and shout and pray in tongues, and I was so loud, I had my little boombox and my cassette tapes and all my worship music, and I was bumping, and I'd be praying until 2 a.m., and the neighbors were like, shut up already. And I'm like, Lord, touch my neighbors. Touch my neighbors. Glory, revival. That was me. <laughs> and look at you now, Tim, you're here. See, prayer works. <laughs> Abigail could have been silent on this issue. And really, if you look at it, some of us might argue that she had every right to let Nabal get what was coming to him. But she, she was moved with mercy, not with judgment. She had faith and humility to come before David. It cost her something, but she didn't. And because of her intercession, Nabal was able to live until the Lord wanted to take him. He eventually died. The Lord took him home. And if you want to read on to the story, David ended up marrying Abigail. Right? So she upgraded. <laughs> the, the scoundrel? <laughs> that scoundrel. Um. Who are you praying for? There are people that you're praying for, and you might think, what is this for? Is this even working? Should I even continue? And I'm here to tell you, yes, you should. 